Manage Self Lead Others podcast and my name is Nina Sunday and in this episode we're joined by Dr. Rich Allen. Now I first met Dr. Allen, oh it must have been a conference or somewhere but I invited him to speak at uh, Professional Speakers Australia to uh, the group, I was the program director there and it was so successful. He stood up on the chair, he got people moving around the room in different groups and it was just so engaging and so bright and so wonderful. And so I, I always remember that if ever I had a podcast, he would be one of the first people I invited to be my guest. He's uh, an author of several books on training and education, Humane Presentations, Train Smart. He's uh, founder and president of Greenlight Education, I subscribe to his tips, whether you're a manager or a trainer or a presenter, his tips about how to be interactive with a group uh, that you're leading a meeting or how to engage them, are absolute gold and totally unique and sometimes unusual. So welcome, Dr. Rich. Thank you very much, Nina. That's quite an introduction. I have a lot to live up to. <laughs> I, I feel confident. Now, our topic today is how to raise your EQ a framework for empathetic conversations. And you're an educational psychologist, so I have a feeling we've got something we can learn about empathetic conversations. Well, I hope so. This is something, what I wanted to chat with you in the brief time we have right now, it's something I learned when I was in my early 20s. And I, I don't exaggerate when I say that this little technique or skill has stayed with me throughout my lifetime and provided some really wonderful personal moments um, with people. <clears throat> so I thought I'd share that if that's okay. Feel free, please do. All right, um, well, I start with this premise. I, I honestly believe that most people want to be very empathetic to other people. Um, but here's the situation. Imagine two people are sitting down to have a conversation and one person is listening and suddenly realizes the other person has said something that's important. Like there's emotional content there. Um, what do we do in that moment? And often the very first thing that happens is people jump in as the listener and they just, they don't want someone to be in pain or in trouble. So the first thing they do is they want to reassure them that they're going to be okay. They just want to say, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But if you notice right off the bat right there, that shuts down the conversation. Yeah. That doesn't allow the person who may be experiencing something important um, to actually explore what it's about for them, to have someone listen to them, and maybe, maybe sort it out a little bit. So I'll give you a couple of images to uh, work with here. All right, that's good. I like conversations with people that are like free, like a walk through a field, free and easy. But I think some conversations you get into people, are, they're like walking through a field of mud, <laughs> thick mud and water, and every footstep is work. Um, and so I call those muck conversations. And muck is kind of the word that I use to describe the way that people respond when someone has something important that's really not helpful to the eventual resolution of the situation. Hey, do you know what I thought, Nina? I thought we would demonstrate this for people. Um, rather than me just telling people about it, let's play a, a little back and forth. <clears throat> In a moment, would you, you do that? I want you to feed me this line. All you're gonna say is, Rich, I'm having a lot of difficulty with my flatmate. Now it's an imaginary scene, but what I'm gonna do then is I'm going to muck you. <laughs> I'm gonna respond as if I was a person who is not aware of what to do and just accidentally shuts down the conversation. And then I'll describe what each of these things are and how we can avoid them. 
So here we go. First one, ready? Line, please. Rich, I'm having such problems with my flatmate at the moment. Now, Nina, I've known you for a long time. You're person. You're very much in control of things. So I honestly think this doesn't sound like a very, very big deal. You'll be fine. Oh, and, and what I'm feeling is he didn't even ask me what the problem was. Exactly. How could he say I'll be fine if he doesn't know what the problem is? <laughs> That's so, that one is called reassurance. And I was just mentioning that a moment ago where we accidentally reassure. Parents often do this to kids. The mom says, oh, the kids were teasing me about my nose, you know, at school. And mom says, honey, you'll be fine. They haven't listened to the problem. They haven't acknowledged the emotion behind the situation. Let's do another one. So give me the same line again. <clears throat> Dr. Rich, I am having problems with my flatmate. I don't know what to do. I know just what you mean. Do you know, I had a flatmate a couple of years ago and he was such a nightmare in so many ways. What I've just done is I've just hijacked the conversation. Yes, and there's a technical name for that. You probably recognize because everyone's done it at some point in their life, but it's called identification. And it goes, I know just what you mean. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as they start that line, here's another image to think about. If two people are talking, there's a spotlight hanging above our heads. When one person is talking, the spotlight is on them. When the other person is talking, the spotlight goes to them. But when someone's having an emotional moment, what we want to do is keep the spotlight on them. And so when I say, I know just what you mean, all of a sudden now the spotlight turns to me and I'm telling my story and you are literally left in the dark. Absolutely. And, and also uh, it, it doesn't validate that person's experience because I think they're likely to think, how could you possibly know what I mean? Because you're not me. And I haven't even told you the details yet. I've just given you a tiny little slice. So it, it, it does, it makes you feel frustrated if, if that's who you're talking to. You wouldn't, you'd be less likely to confide in them uh, uh, in the future. Yeah, now we're just having fun. Please remember, if you're listening to this, um, these are things not to do, but you have to know what not to do and then we will wrap it up with what to do in yeah, this situation. That would help. <laughs> yeah, of course, that's where we're headed with this. Yeah. But we have to understand the problems that are created when we accidentally muck. Now let's do another one. And this is, I can admit from the top, this is kind of silly, but ready? Line, please. Dr. Rich, I am having real problems with my flatmate. Oh, what's her name? Jenny. And when did she move in? Oh, about six months ago. And how big is your house? Oh, three bedrooms. Yeah, yeah, I remember because you had a three bedroom. This is called asking irrelevant questions. Situational questions that have no relevance to the problem. That's it. Yeah. The extreme example of that was, my cat got hit by a car. Really, what color was the car? <laughs> that's the last thing you want to hear if that's in that situation. Because mm. questions about the emotional content are going to be okay. We'll get to that shortly, but irrelevant questions don't fit. Let's do another one. Line, please. Dr. Rich, I am having problems with my flatmate. You think that's bad? My boss is just a nightmare at work. I thought she was going to be good to work with for a while, but oh my. And where I are you? I hear you hijack <laughs> my situation. <laughs> but you see, I just did it again. The spotlight came back to me. Yeah. Um, but again, think to yourself, how many conversations have you been in where someone says, oh, you think that's bad? And, and I hate to say it, I think maybe sometimes I've been a pro 
done a little bit of this myself. So this is really enlightening. Here you, here you kind of identify these um, reactions when people have shared with you their problems. Because sometimes emotionally, yes, we want it to be fixed. We don't want, we don't really know, we're not experts ourselves. And also it's uncomfortable. I'm really glad you brought that up. There's a clarification here. Sometimes in ordinary conversations, you're sitting around with friends and you're just chattering. This, this is a part of normal conversation. But what we're talking about is when it becomes emotionally important. So if you've done, oh, you think that's bad. And it was just a part of friends sitting around chatting. It's absolutely fine. That's just conversation. But it's, do you know when to step off of that position and come back? Now, I got two last ones. Um, let's do the first one. Line, please. Dr. Rich, I'm having problems with my flatmate. Now, Nina, you seem to do this a lot with people in your life, don't you? I've known you for a while, and you seem to get into tussles over things that are probably unimportant. I don't know why you do this to yourself, but maybe you should look at <laughs> so Now I, I feel so insulted. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's another thing that people commonly do. It's called lecturing, meaning yes. that um, the state of problem and the person listening says, you see, you do this a lot, you know, and they make it your problem instead of listening to the issue that underlies it. Oh, gee, that, that really made my blood boil, that response. <laughs> and here's the thing. Do you think managers might do that with their, um, their individual contributors when they're just sharing an issue and it closes them down? Exactly. Especially if they start bringing up the past and trying to say, well, this is a, this is a pattern in your, in your work experience. There's times to train people. There's trying to upskill people. There's also times to listen. And I think emotional intelligence has a lot to do with understanding the difference, the different moments and when to step in or when to step back in some ways. The other thing with emotional intelligence, Dr. Rich, is that we can't just blurt out the first thing that comes into our head. We actually have to study the art of good conversations. And I don't mean interesting. I mean having intentional uh, ability to respond appropriately, especially when people are sharing in a deeper, meaningful way. Is it, would you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. Mm. Now, I, there is one more, but I want, to, I want to hold on to it. It's called giving advice. And why is giving advice perhaps a problem? But I need to pause on that one until I explain what to do. Um, here's my uh, easiest way to explain it to everyone. In certain moments, if you realize someone has an issue, keep the spotlight on them, meaning just let them continue talking. So if someone says something important, you simply say something along the lines of, wow, Sounds to me like that's a really important thing to you. Could you tell me more about that? And you just literally put them back in the position where they get a chance to share. Because here's what happens in conversations. Imagine a ladder. When someone expresses something emotional, very often they pause in the conversation. And this is when we, a listener, feel like we have to do something. Um, and we jump in with that reassurance. Yes. But if you do, the conversation stays at the top rung of the ladder. What we want to do is say, I'm here, I'm listening, I care. And you put the spotlight back on them and let them talk some more. They're really asking, are you safe? And if they get that from the response, they'll say, well, here's what it's about. And they'll talk a bit more. And then I guarantee you, they'll pause again. And what we want to do is when they pause again, they're just checking out, are you still listening to me? 
is this important to you? And that way you want to say, yeah, wow, this is really sounds like a challenge. Please, what else? And you just let them talk their way through it. Is this making sense? Absolutely. It's, it's about, in customer service, we talk about letting people vent when they have a problem. Hmm. And when they've had a chance to offload their story and their response, you know, their emotional response, they kind of are then open to a solution. They're open to moving forward. So professionally, that's good advice there. So it's good advice in any one-on-one conversation. Watch what happens here. Imagine we've done this several times. I've listened to someone, they've gone down, you reach a place that I like to call it the bottom line. Like you really feel like, aha, that's what this situation is about for this person. Now, most of us don't know what to do. Well, here's the first thing. A lot of times listening to someone, you don't have to do anything. All they wanted was to know they exist in the world and someone cares. And I've had conversations, it seems like it's making sense to you. I always think I've got to help them problem solve and come up with a solution so I can say, no, no, you don't have to do that anymore, Nina. <laughs> it's, it's true because if we're not trained in it, we don't really know what to do in this moment and we think we're supposed to fix it. That's right. That's but instead, right. my first instinct is always to wait and see whether they resolved it themselves or that's all they wanted. They didn't want to fix it. They just needed to express it so they can start to figure it out for themselves. Okay. Now, here's the next thing. Sometimes they do want to know what to do next. Um, and they'll often turn and say, so what should I do, right? Oh. Now this is a trap because most of us, if we've been sitting there listening, why is this person sharing with us? Well, obviously they believe we're a good listener and we have good value to add. And we wanna leap in and give them advice. But advice, there's three things that can happen if you give advice to someone and all three of them have a danger. The first one is, they just don't take your advice. Yeah. Well, the next time you see them, they know you're gonna run up and say, so, did you try it? That's right, they're gonna to have to be embarrassed to go, no, I didn't, why not? And all of a sudden this awkward situation emerges. Mm. Second thing could happen is they take your advice and it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, egg on your face. They're never gonna share with you again. <laughs> but the third one's the most challenging for most people to figure out. What if you give advice and it works out? They take it and it works out. What you created is a codependent relationship where the next time they have an issue, they'll think, oh gosh, I need to fix this. Let me go find that person and talk to them. Codependent relationships, I don't think are as effective or enjoyable as interdependent relationships. So I have an, I have an answer for this. Yes, go ahead. When you get, when you get there, I, what I think we wanna do is give them options plus support. Right. I mean, I'll give you an example. And this is a real life example. Um, my late 20s, I, uh, I knew a young lady who um, had gotten pregnant and she was not married, did not expect to get pregnant, horribly upset about this. We talked it through for uh, well, at least an hour um, and we got to the bottom line and she was still pregnant. <laughs> so choices have to be made here. And she said, well, what do I do now? And she really wanted me to give her the answer, but I don't know the answer for her. And so I said, look, here's some options. If you wanna think about having an abortion, if that's an option for you, I know a place we can go and talk to some people about that. If you'd like to have the child and give it up for adoption, here's a place. If you'd like to try to raise it as a single mom, um, here's a place. There are places, and no matter what you pick, I will support your choice and I'll go with you to these places. That's, that's so valuable to do that. And it's all about approving 
of the situation, not disapproving. And in fact, you know, because many of us have had parents that either approved or disapproved of our choices as we were growing up. And so we carry that forward into our adulthood. Well, I thought I'd tell you a, a story, something that happened recently um, in a very real life. And let me know if something uh, pops up in the chat box. Um, but this was uh, last December. My youngest daughter, um, 19 at the time, had a boyfriend, her one and only boyfriend in her entire life for four years. But she was away at uni, they tried the long distance thing and it just wasn't working. Um, and so she came home to us for Christmas and she was just traumatized because she just didn't know what to do here. It just wasn't working, but she'd been with him forever. She didn't know anything about being single, you know? Um, and so four of us, my wife, a friend, and uh, my daughter and I were all sitting out just talking and suddenly she, she's talking about this and you can just tell she's upset, you know? And so I said, well, tell us more about this. And she started opening up to us and both my wife and the friend wanted to leap in and tell her she'd be okay. World goes on if they break up. And I said, I think I'd just rather hear from her first. And we let her talk and they both like literally stepped back and let me handle the conversation. And we got down to the bottom line. And of course the bottom line was there and she just still didn't know what to do. Um, and the exact same situation I just told you about emerged. Um, and she said, well, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, what, let's name some options. What do you think you want to do? Do you want to stay with him for another year? Do you want to break up? And she talked them all through. And in the end, she said, oh my goodness, I need to break up. <laughs> but the thing that came out of that was, it was her choice. Exactly. I've empowered her. Well, I have empowered her. She's empowered herself um, to make that choice so she can figure things out as long as someone's there to listen to, to talk it through. Yes, because I think certainly parents with uh, their, their teenage or, or young, you know, young adult children, they might try to sway the, the future partner of them with saying, well, you know, they've done this, so don't you think you should break up with them? And really, it's all about letting, leading them to that decision so that they don't look back over their life and go, what if, what if I hadn't? broken up? What if mum or dad hadn't said you can't see them anymore? So uh, that could create an ongoing problem. Uh, I, think, I think the same thing with uh, in the workplace. I mean, people might be compelled to even leave a job just because uh, of an unresolved situation at work. And yet it could have been, could have been resolved. Sometimes people don't even discuss their displeasure with things and they go, well, I'll just leave rather than try and have to resolve it. Well, I've worked with trainers and presenters, as you were saying, when we first met a long time. And one of the things I've known about coaching them, if I, I often watch trainers as speakers present and I watch them, I know in my heart what I think is the thing they should change to be a better speaker or the things I can see them, but I can never tell them, this is what you should do. Instead, I have to say like, here's, here's another way you could handle that. How would that feel to you if you did it that way? What would be better or worse in that situation? To me, it has to be an interactive back and forth conversation so they can say, ah, oh, I could do that. And then I could, and I want them to I don't say own the idea because the truth is I don't know their world. I'm not them. So they have to bring their world into the conversation and make it fit or not fit. What I'm hearing too, Dr. Rich, is your language patterns, language structures. So things like how would that feel and not saying things like I know how you feel. Um, I think in coaching or in, uh, uh, they say, never say I know how you feel. So I can imagine how you must be feeling 
is an empathetic statement, but I know how you feel closes it down. Mm -hmm. So to raise your EQ, a manager really should be, uh, or anybody in the workplace should be, um, well, where would they go to, to read about this sort of um, intentional language so that you're, you're, you're actually having these deep conversations but aren't uh, closing people down or, or pulling the spotlight onto yourself? Is there any uh, terrific book that you'd suggest? Probably your own? No, I haven't written books about this particular subject. Yeah. Mine are more on training or education. Mm. But you did remind me of a maybe a really simple thing for a lot of listeners to hold on to. Um, ask why. That, those are my two words that have, have guided so many thoughts in my brain. So the easy situation, imagine you're walking down the street and someone rushes past you and kind of shoves you out of the way. All of us react to certain situations instantly, but we don't know why people are acting the way they're acting. So we might think, well, what a rude person. He should have like said, excuse me, he should have stepped around me. But what if you then found out that his wife had just been in an accident and he was racing to the hospital to find out if she was okay? why changes our thoughts. So in the workplace, if someone's acting a certain way, instead of just saying, stop being that way, I think it's a manager's job to understand more about why, what's going on in their world. And there may be times to correct or guide the behavior, but the first step is truly understanding the why. And I've learned that one way to ask why is to uh, frame it with uh, an, uh, a few words before it. I'm wondering why, dot, dot, dot. So I found this, I'm wondering, is it's making a statement, but it's asking a question without asking the question. So mm. it's a nice soft way mm. to ask a question without accusing. And there's that great saying, seek first to be understood. <laughs> or no, seek first to understand, understand yes. rather than to be, to be understood. So it's all about seeking first to understand. Look, it's been terrific uh, talking to you, Dr. Rich. Th thank you for your wisdom. I've certainly learned a thing or two. I think I have fallen into some of those traps, which I promise I will try not to in the future. <laughs> thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Nina. And thanks to all the uh, uh, attendees today. All the best. Have a great weekend. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.